Thank you for listening to the Cosmetics Business Podcast. For early access to episodes, exclusive beauty news stories, analysis, trend reports, and award-winning magazines, subscribe to cosmeticsbusiness.com. That's cosmeticsbusiness.com. Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of the Cosmetics Business Podcast, coming to you from our London studio. In this series, the Cosmetics Business editorial team will be exploring the biggest stories and trends in beauty, plus discussing our favourite new brands and products. We'll be releasing episodes monthly, but if you're enjoying what we're doing, let us know by contacting us on social media or leaving a review and we'll make them more regularly. I'm Sarah Parsons, editor of CosmeticsBusiness.com, and I'm sitting here with my co-hosts, fellow journalists, Julia Ray, Amanda Pauley, and Alessandro Carrara. And on today's episode, we're going to explore the trends that define 2023, from the year of Barbiecore to the pop-ups that popped, and why 2023 marked the beginning of the end of celebrity skincare. And make sure to stay tuned to the end, where we will reveal the best new brands of the year. Okay, so uh, let's get started with the first trend of the episode. Alessandro, do you want to go first? Uh, yes, of course. Uh, Barbie, my gosh. Um, <laughs> what a year for Barbie Core. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a touch relieved. The, the grip it's had on the beauty industry is, is loosening a little bit. I feel like I can still see pink when I close my eyes. Um, however... What a moment for beauty. Uh, I'd honestly say almost historic, because um, I don't think there will be a film quite like it that will cause such a fervor for a very long time. And I just want to point out that the hashtag Barbie on TikTok has 97.3 billion views. Wow. Um, that's mind-boggling to me. Um, so yeah, it's been absolute pink washout for the past year but I guess I wanted to ask you guys sort of like was there any looks or any things that you thought were actually good or anything that you've thought stood out because of the Barbie core trend or was it really just like a pink washout for the industry well I'd say pink but then also very much in keeping with the beauty industry blonde you think Barbie, especially stereotypical Barbie as played by Margot Robbie and and she's the, the original blonde bombshell isn't she mm-hmm. I think for me, it was the free Barbie selfie generator. I think that you just saw that all over social media where, um, so for those who don't know, um, if you've been living under a rock, sorry, um, but it was where people could upload a photo of themselves to be dropped into the film poster and they could custom the film tagline. So it said, this Barbie is dot, dot, dot. And I thought that was just simply genius because that really captured the magic of Barbie. Like Barbie Mm. is whatever you want her to be and she can be anything. And so that really played for brands and consumers allowed consumers to project themselves onto Barbie and have fun with it and share amongst (laughs) their friends but it also gave a space for brands to for any brand of any cost or price or um, demographic could fit into that Barbie conversation as well so I'd say that would be it for me. Yeah I think uh, there was a lot of Barbie stuff but I think my favourite kind of activation around it was when Lush did their pop-up 
because it was a bit different to what everyone else was doing. I think everyone was focusing on current Barbie because of Margot, obviously, but they delved into like 90s retro Barbie, which I love because that's kind of the Barbie when I grew up. Um, so it was all very retro items, had the car, the dream house was retro. It had like a boombox candle. Like it was so well thought out, but also really aligned with Lush as a brand as well. So it just felt like a really well thought out, connected kind of collaboration. And yeah, it got me really excited actually for the movie because there was lots of other things but I felt like that one was like truly quite immersive and it tapped into that Y2K nostalgia that was going on as well so I thought that was really clever yeah like we've had some amazing like Netflix launches over the past few years like Stranger Things uh, Mm. Wednesday but nothing has really tapped into the zeitgeist like Barbie so like there was nothing we've seen lots of makeup looks from like Wednesday Adams for example like the gothic inspired looks but there's been nothing else where you could get something like Lush Primark Glow Recipe uh, NYX like all be able to tap into one conversation I completely agree and uh, you know even though the movie dropped I think more more or less five or six months ago I feel like Barbie fever is still here Schwarzkopf um, they did the Barbie pop-up just in October months after the film so I think there is still a really strong desire for Barbie content for Barbie beauty um, I don't know how you would quantify it but I honestly think the beauty industry has probably made a lot of money thanks to Barbie's the Barbie movie launch through all the activations through all the product launches and collections um, Yeah, I was going to say, although the Barbie movie obviously really kind of was the hub for the zeitgeist this year, uh, as Amanda said, uh, with Lush, for example, focusing on the original Mattel Barbie, Barbie's been going since the 1950s, so it can really continue. Obviously, I think this year it had had that big moment, but but there's no reason why Barbie Corps shouldn't, in maybe a slightly lesser way, just kind of keep on simmering, because... Barbie really is, as I said, an original kind of beauty icon. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily going to go anywhere soon because if you think about it with like Valentino and the Barbie pink that was, I can't remember what year that fashion show was, um, but it was, and then when you went to the luxury department stores, if you walked past a Valentino, it was just a sea of pink. And that really hot pink as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it's been coming around for the past few years and I don't think it's going to leave anytime soon. I think I agree with you. I think you'll probably be here for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So in terms of Barbie activations, we've had uh, NYX, which did an amazing pop-up. And I think that leads us nicely onto your trend, Amanda. Yeah, so I'm going to be talking about the evolution of the pop-up because it's changed again. So the humble kind of beauty pop-up is evolving once more and into something more meaningful than I think what's come before. So 2022 was all about the kind of gamifications of spaces, you know, rewarding people for attending, that kind of instant gratification. But 2023 has been all about fully immersing people into the DNA of a brand again in a space that feels like completely curated exclusively for them. Um, These activations are well thought out experiences which remind people why they fell in love with the brand in the first place and they're doing so in much more kind of theatrical and abstract ways. It's a brilliant way to reignite loyalty 
and of course inadvertently sales and which is why it will come as no surprise that the number of pop-up shops in the UK have increased by 18% in the past year um, according to digital commerce experts Eclipse. So there's definitely money and fun to be had with pop-ups. Um, there's a few beauty brands I think that have really nailed it this year but I guess before I go into the ones I think are there any that you guys pop-ups that you've been to that you think have been truly immersive like this in terms of reminding people why they love that brand mm. I was thinking about this um the other day actually and so there's two but one wasn't launched this year it was last year and it's one I always refer to and it was Beauty Pie's Warehouse of Dreams yeah. and so they had a small space in Covent Garden which is in central London it's a tourist destination known for its beauty stores it's called the Beauty Quarter of London and they Beauty Pie um they really focus on cutting out the middleman, the idea that they uh, deal directly with the suppliers to offer consumers low cost but high quality luxury goods. And so what they did, they created um, this warehouse of dreams. And so you walked in, you were greeted by um, beauty pie teams who were wearing pink hard hats and they oh, had clipboards. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. And um, there was these pink hard hats on the wall and you walked through these almost plastic curtains um, the kind you get in a factory and it opens up a small space but impactful of um, and it was bare to the bones as well but it was of um, pictures of beauty by products and then there were all the products laid out and then um, the team would give you a clipboard and you'd walk around and you'd tick off what products you wanted and then at the end you would go to a counter and collect them mm. and it was such a clear vision of yeah. uh, what the brand is about and it was so simple and it was quite unorthodox for beauty mm. the fact that it was a luxury brand but they focused on a factory and a warehouse yeah um almost like the most unglamorous side of beauty yeah but i'd want to be a beauty pie worker it sounds great <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah i'd say that's firstly my number one and then the other one but that launched this year that i really enjoyed was in covent garden again and I, it was actually created by the same team that did the Beauty Pie one, um, Backlash Creative Agency. And um, it was Tatcha's one. Yeah, that's on my list. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> really good. Um, you actually went to this one, so you might be better um, placed to kind of explain the situation and the experience. But I think it was a really great example of a brand really just bringing to the forefront what they're about. And it was all about the experience and the, the feeling of what it's like to use this product rather than being focused on hard sales or, like I say, getting gamification and using a phone yeah. um but yeah I'll let you kind of take it away on this one yeah but no, that you're right you're completely right and um, that's what what the brand explained and they really nailed that because so Covent Garden is as I said a tourist hub and it's a busy place yeah loud yeah loud <laughs> and so what they did um in the middle of the square they cornered it off with beautiful um wooden fencing and you go in and there was this japanese garden that you walk through and then you go into this pavilion i guess and you sit down and there's a smell of the products that they were promoting at the time um the for the forest awakening collection and um, you'd sit and you had your headphones on and there was the sound of um, Tatcha's, uh, one of Tatcha's ambassadors. He's a Japanese Zen monk mm. um, called, um, I apologise for the pronunciation, I think it's um, Torio Itu. And um, he walked you through this meditation 
I don't know how long it was, I was there mm. for, but it went really quickly. And you come out feeling really calm and you walk through and that's where the products are. But again, it's the team there were more about showing you how to use the products, really about the textures, the smells, um, because that collection was all about grounding yourself through your mm. shower routine. Mm. Um, so yeah, that one was very soothing. Yeah, I mean, my favourite one from this year was one I only went to a couple of weeks ago and it's still open now, um, which is Millennial Pink Brand, uh, Glossier, as we all know, who have been around for a while. But they've just opened a pop-up in London, um, basically in celebration of their best-selling perfume, Glossier U. And it's really shown like a new facet to the brand's personality, which I like the most about it. So it's called The Realms of You and it's an immersive experience which takes you on a journey through the fragrance and kind of the elements that make it up. But using ASMR and live performances, it's designed to be unique to each person because it's inspired by the fact that Glossier U famously kind of smells different on everybody. It was like a much more grown-up side to the brand and completely immersive. It reminded me a little bit of like escape rooms part of it. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> um, because you go in and it's vibrant red. It kind of looks like a boudoir kind of slash club. And as we all know, Glossier is pink. But this was vibrant red very grown up, very edgy. And you go into this first room, which is ASMR, and it's using the fragrance and the elements to make up the fragrance to make this beautiful sound that like completely relaxes you. Um, again, you're stuck in busy central London. I felt so calm and relaxed afterwards. And then after that, they take you into a second room, which is the live performance element. And I was just so taken aback. I just couldn't stop laughing because it was a brilliant, brilliant experience. You go in and there's six booths and out of the booths are six hands with like a red leather glove on sticking out of curtains and all of the hands are doing something different. So like one was calling me over, one was waving, one was kind of doing a dance and bear in mind, you don't know what you're going to expect when you get in and they were telling me you need to go to the hand that you're most drawn to, to how you're feeling. So I'm just strolling up and down watching all these hands like perform, having a great time. Did you keep a straight face? No, I was laughing. It was so funny and like different. And then I won't say too much about what happened after that, because like I say, the pop-up's open and I think part of the fun of it is the mystery. But at the end, I put the fragrance on and it smelled different to me. And I don't know if it's because of these elements of like the ASMR and then the live performances. Um, but I came out and it just completely reminded me that I love this fragrance like I used to wear it years ago and it just kind of fallen off my radar and I've worn it every day since and I think it's because there's such this happy memory associated with that experience that they've completely brought me back into the brand and won me over as a customer and they do sell stuff there but it's not pushed the whole idea is to immerse you in calm you down show you this kind of new edgier facet of Glossier and it just reminds me a bit like when artists reinvent themselves for music yeah. and then they have like a you know a new identity and all that and I think if Glossier was Taylor Swift this is their reputation era. <laughs> like it's brilliant and it's just made me really excited to see what comes next um, but it's great and it's out at the moment and like I say I won't say too much about the the live performance room but whoever thought it up genius mm. just really genius and my other favourite one, which also, Alessandra, I know that you went to. I did. Um, is Team Beauty Company Indu. They hosted their first ever pop-up in October, um, basically to raise their brand awareness. So they launched this year. Um, but it was completely experiential. It had tons of zones for teens to take part in. And it was all about discovering the DNA of a brand. But it was just 
wild. It was crazy, crazy good. They just had like um, whack-a-mole and basketball in an arcade area. I mean, what <laughs> team's not going to love that? Where you yeah. have a hammer and you hit yeah. it. <laughs> Honestly, there's so many videos of kids playing that at that party. It's crazy. Um, they also had like a bathroom area for visitors to play in. So you could do content in there. It felt like your own personal bathroom where you can like play with the products and have a good time. There was a gift booth, like interactive mirrors. There was a giant light up cube in the middle, which just kind of made it look like a cool club ice cream bubble tea on tap um it was just it felt like a truly cool party space and again the products were there but they weren't pushing it it was more about bringing people in introducing them to the brand and hopefully making them remember them and either they go out and buy it or they tell their parents about it and they're like i love this brand mum you've got to get it for me <laughs> but the proof's in the pudding with this one because Hashtag Indu launch party has more than 70.4 million views on TikTok. They did so well. Yeah. And Google searches for Indu in the UK soared 102% during the activation, which was just a week long. Wow. So it shows that retail pop-ups pay off. But when you do them in like really cool abstract ways that represent you as a brand rather than hard selling or just mm. doing the gamification elements because you think that's what people want. This was just completely, I think... They work with teens, like the whole products are created by teens. So I really feel like teens have fed into what this should be. But AC, you were there having a great time. <laughs> it was loads of fun. I don't know what it says about me, but I love any pop-up activation that has a claw-grabbing machine or whack-a-mole oh, yeah. or the one where you have to throw the basketball in the hoop. But yeah, it was just a fun event. Uh, looking around, everyone was just having a good time. Everyone had an ice cream. I think the founder, one of the co-founder, was just there having an ice cream. Like, <laughs> he was just like, yeah, really chill that environment. And there was like, there wasn't that pressure to like sell or to push mm. a product or push the collection. It was all about discovery, a hundred percent right. It's all about that discovery, immersing yourself in the brand, um, and I think it, it was a resounding success. There was a queue, the queue outside for people trying to get in. It was just like, yeah, really, really successful. Yeah. Um, I. I honestly think uh, that the brand is just going to go from strength to strength to strength over the years now because they have such a rock solid foundation. Mm. They've set all of this up so well. Mm. Um, I just wanted to go back to Glossier as well because there were some numbers with them for um, how it's worked for them. So obviously they've only been open a couple of weeks, but 20.5 million views on TikTok already for the pop-up and Google searches for Glossier in the UK have increased 89% since the pop-ups launch. So um, pop-ups pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess my trend's also going into the fact of not being a hard sell. Um, so... This year, in terms of beauty looks, I think it's safe to say that 2023 was the year where we wanted to look good enough to eat. Uh, yeah, so on social media anyway. So um, if you've been on social media or if you're interested in makeup, and so I'm sure you've seen lots and lots of trends like strawberry makeup, vanilla girl. Um, one of the weirder ones I saw was dumpling lips. Um, yeah, so it's this idea that uh, these beauty trends is almost like from the supermarket shelves. Yeah. And so um, in terms of so the winter, uh, one of the biggest food-based makeup trends is the pumpkin spice makeup trend. Mm -hmm. And that currently has 20 million views on TikTok which is enormous and it's been a fascinating trend to observe because traditionally when we look at trends, I would advise people to perhaps look at the food industry to see what's going on there in terms of ingredients and uh, packaging and then eventually that'll probably roll out onto beauty. And that's still 100% the case, but it's just another way of seeing food and beauty 
relationships. And so I think it's so much fun because it's a win-win from everyone's perspective. So from a consumer's perspective, the trends are whimsical. They aren't about fitting somebody else's ideals. Um, instead, it's something like, okay, let's take that pumpkin spice trend. It's about using uh, bronzer or eyeshadow or uh, lipstick to get off different hues inspired by the very popular Starbucks drink. Um, and then from a PR perspective, it's great because so much of beauty relies on newsiness, but this, these types of trends, well, is about using pre-existing products and hero products and allowing them to be aligned within these trends. And then, but also you can use them to tease new launches. And well, supermodel Hayley Bieber, she's definitely <laughs> the queen of that. So this summer, um, she was going through her, what's called the strawberry girl era. And so she put on social media um, pictures of her with pink cheeks and eyes and lips and stuff. And this gained millions and millions of views and not to mention the sheer number of headlines to go with it. And the next thing you knew, um, she launched a collaboration with Krispy Kreme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's great. <laughs> so, um, so what do you think about this food-based trend? I want... I love it. I really do love it. And I want it to go even weirder. I want to see like, <laughs> I want to see like courgette girl looks or eggplant girl looks in the new year. Like just so take it further. Don't, don't stop. Just go as weird as you want, please. Cause it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's really fun. And it's always, um, yeah, it's just a, a nice fun, uh, way to play with makeup, to play with mm. looks in the beauty industry. So I'm all for it. So yeah. I'd like to add that also these trends go into nails as well because I love nails and actually every single one that Hayley Bieber's done for makeup has translated into nails. So you had like glazed donut nails, strawberry girl nails. Um, so I love the idea that you can tie the look together, yeah. which is really smart. And again, it brings in another realm of brands that can bring hero products, like you say, to the fore. But um, yeah, I like it. I think it's fun. It's different, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Playful. And yeah, like Alessandro said, maybe we'll get some really peculiar ones next year. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, we had mushroom at one point, and so we had a yeah, mushroom blonde, yeah. which is like a dirty blonde look. And then we've had cappuccino. Oh, yeah. So I can imagine like aubergine isn't too far out of the future. We need to just tell her the vegetables that aren't getting much love, and then <laughs> she can kind of bring them to the fore, can't she? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I think there's a seasonality aspect as well, because as you mentioned, they're the pumpkin spice one, which is so associated with autumn. And apparently for uh, Christmas this year we're going to have the sugar plum girl oh I like that uh, I know I know very Christmassy so yeah there's that aspect as well and I think one area which is really interesting um, when you talk about foodie beauty is fragrance because of course there is this huge link between what we smell and what we taste those two things are really interconnected and there have been some fantastic recent fragrance launches which delve into slightly odder scents so um, things like tomato tomato vines so definitely things that are in the foodie arena, but not necessarily the sense that we would generally think of as being major fragrance scents, mm. like things like chocolate and all, all yeah. those kind of things. Absolutely. Like Boy Smells did um, a gardener's collection, I think, on mm. that. And Diptyque did one. Yeah, Marlon and Goetz did one. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to butcher good. the pronunciation, but L'Officine Bully, they also did a really, oui. really cool <laughs> one with like carrot and beetroot and it was just so fun so fresh 
Yeah, because it's about ab- adding like a vibrance and depth to mm. the fragrance rather than you smelling like a soup. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and it, it, they pulled it off because I went to the launch event for the that sort of garden collection, and they, you know, they sort of mm. show us through each of the. Boy smells gardener's collection. The aficionado oh, okay, one, yeah. and um, yeah, it was great. Um, and it, surprising how nice they were because mm. it is that. It is that initial, like, ooh, beetroot. But actually, the combination was just a fantastic finished mm-hmm. product. Mm-hmm. I really thought so. Yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. a, people want to smell unique, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's conversations, conversations, sorry, perfumes can actually be a conversation starter. Mm-hmm. So if someone is wearing amazing perfume and they comment on it and you can say, like, oh, it's got beetroot in it, that's mm-hmm. good fun. Really cool. I think it'd be interesting to see where it goes because fashion and food have collaborated a lot more than beauty and food. Um, like obviously Greg's and Primark, um, that's <laughs> gone viral and sold out. I don't know how many times and people just rocking their Greg's cap and Greg sliders. But I'd love to see it more because I'm trying to think of other ones that have been really great. And the only one that really comes to my mind is when Rihanna did the ketchup collaboration. Oh, yeah. You know, where you mm. opened it and you had to find out whether it was ketchup or her. I think it was a gloss inside yeah. by opening the packets. I'd love be- to see beauty take these trends and actually do more of that kind of stuff, yeah. like those activations where they are a bit more experiential and I guess more likely to go viral. Mm. To have fun with it, especially mm. when the context makes sense, like like in the, the Fenty version. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So trend number four, Julia, do you want to go on to that? Absolutely. So I don't know whether we can call this a trend or maybe an anti-trend, but I'm going to talk about the way the gloss is sort of coming off the celebrity beauty train, specifically skincare. As a bit of context, obviously we know that celebrities have worked in the fragrance arena for a really long time. In makeup, we've had some real successes with uh, Fenty, uh, as mentioned, Rihanna's brand, uh, Rare, which is Selena Gomez, and of course, Hayley Bieber's Road as well, which is actually more skincare, but has like this great lip product. We're seeing more people come into the skincare area in the last couple of years, but specifically autumn 2022 was just this absolute boom. So some of the names that kind of joined the roster of celebrity founders of, of brands were Harry Styles, Alicia Keys, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Idris Elba. So you see some really big names join um, join the roster of celebrities that are operating in beauty. But then this year, we've seen a couple of big names slightly hit the skids. First up, to show that there was maybe a little bit of trouble in celebrity land, was uh, Kirsten Bell. So Kirsten Bell has a range, uh, or used to have a range called Happy Dance. And that actually shut down in January after not very long. It only launched in 2020. And this is a CBD beauty brand. Its parent company, Kronos Group, basically pulled the plug because it stepped away from beauty to focus on cannabis edibles, uh, which is obviously a huge market in the US. One could say that that was a flash in the pan, that maybe it was a bit of a one-off. However, more recently in August, Amaris filed for voluntary Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Now, the issue here is that Amaris is this biotech company based in California most of its consumer brands are celeb brands. So it's got this big roster here. You have Stripes, which is this menopause brand from Naomi Watts, the Australian actress. You have uh, Jonathan Van Ness uh, from Queer Eye fame, uh, his hair care brand, JVN Hair. You also have uh, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley's uh, Rose Inc. And I don't know if anyone remembers uh, Sister Sister back in the day. Oh, yeah. We love that. showing our age here. <laughs> uh, so Tia Murray's For You by Tia. So it's got all these big celebrity names. And it was maybe an indication that when Amaris folded, 
that maybe people aren't buying into celeb brands to quite the extent that that maybe we would have thought they were when there was this huge boom last year. Uh, and then I'm going to focus a little bit more on this because this is, I, I shouldn't sound so gleeful because it's actually a really sad story <laughs> when the brand goes under, but, but this one uh, was 29 Palms by Jared Leto. And the reason I want to focus on this is the sheer speed at which everything sort of disintegrated for 29 Palms. So it only launched last year in October. And essentially, it's a lifestyle brand um, debuted with uh, this 12-skew skincare line. And it was under a parent company called uh, Maplin. Now, essentially, what happened was... And we found this out this year, it really came to light. Uh, The Hollywood Reporter ran a story that the brand had pulled the plug really quite a while back. So there hasn't been any social media activity since March for this brand. And it really transpired that back in December last year, so literally 12 months ago, the co-founder and CEO who also owns Maplin stepped down and Leto's agent confirmed... um, this autumn, that Leto had terminated his relationship with Maplin due to a breach of contract and mismanagement, or at least what he believes to be a breach of content uh, contract and mismanagement, just to uh, keep the lawyers off our back there. But um, but yeah, you go on the brand's website, sales are ceased, everything says it's coming soon. What kind of went wrong for this? Well, the brand itself is inspired apparently by the Mojave Desert, the beauty and the sense of the Mojave Desert. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm going to have a little look at the ingredients. What kind of things are in here? The skincare kit, it's mostly hyaluronic acid and antioxidants that have been touted as being the core skincare ingredients. Now, I know that you guys and probably many of our listeners are going... That's disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> doesn't everything oh. contain that? And I think the fact is that if celebrities are expecting consumers to pay for their name, they have to give more than just the name or more than just a name and a good brand story. I don't think it helps Jared Leto that um, his brand launched really soon after the arguably more famous actor Brad Pitt launched his skincare brand, which got a lot of flack from uh, small indie players who are basically kind of telling him to stay in his lane, (laughs) uh, as it were. And I think maybe there's a little bit of disinterest there among brand founders in actually, you know, if I was Jerry Leto, I'd have gone, okay, I want to do something that's been inspired by the desert. I'd have researched extremophile skincare ingredients. You know, what, what lives in the desert that thrives despite only getting two days of rain a year? Can we use extracts from that? What What's already on the market as an ingredient that taps into that? He could have really made something of that theme he didn't. And and I, I was just wondering what were you, I mean, firstly, would you use a celebrity skincare? Have you used a celebrity skincare brand? And, you know, in the age where consumers are so demanding and discerning, you know, do we have to offer more if we are a celebrity skincare brand? <clears throat> to backpedal a bit, did you see when Desiem, the Estee Lauder owned skincare brand, launched their campaign, skincare is not much? Yeah. 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 And I think that was... It just hit the nail on the head because The Ordinary, who um, is made by Desiem, it's one of the most popular skincare brands on the planet right now. And they are known for expert-led ingredient research, being a transparent, high-quality skincare brand that resonates with many consumers. And so for them to make such a bold statement like that really is the epitome of what the conversation is right now, I think, Mm. anyway. I completely agree with you. And I think it's interesting you mentioned Desiem because 
So Mattel have really flagged up the fact that science-led, ingredient-led, people want value for money. And by that, I mean, they don't want cheap stuff. They want to know that if they're putting money into something, that they are getting something back. They want to see results. And they want it, you know, what they want it explained. They want to know what's in a product. They want to know what it will do and in what time frame. And I think that is so much more of a stronger message than saying, oh, this is attached to a specific name. If they can nail both, then fantastic. One of the things I liked about Idris Elba's um, brand was the fact that, uh, say, um, so Sable, mm-hmm. is the fact that it that, that uses ingredients that are from, from Africa that have been used maybe for centuries. And I like that as a story. For me, that shows maybe a company diving into what something can do and it also linking as well to, mm-hmm. to the brand founder story and what they want to put forward. Absolutely. And and Sable Labs, who's also co-founded by his wife, yes. Sabrina, she works a lot with the UN to promote um, better agricultural practices and things mm. like that. So that all ties in and seems authentic and genuine. So yes, uh, equitable sourcing. Mm-hmm. So it really goes back to the communities making these. Mm-hmm. It's a really strong statement. I think with them as well, it's just, it's good to note that um, they completely funded it themselves. So it's a passion product um, mm. project that they've done from start to finish themselves. They don't have any outside investment. So they're taking a gamble with their own money. So I guess it does show a real kind of, love and want to bring African beauty to the fore, which I thought was quite nice because I think with a lot of these other labels, it's not so much the case with that. This is Cosmetics Business Picks and it's the end of the year. So we thought we'd do a special edition of the segment and share new brands released in 2023 that we've loved. Uh, Alessandro, do you want to go first? Yes. The brand I have been absolutely smitten by is a brand called Obayati. They're a male colour cosmetics brand, which is very rare. Um, It's a very challenging segment. Um, But honestly, uh, sitting down and chatting with them, uh, with actually he's a Swedish music producer, Max Martin, Uh, the approach they have for the brand is very considered. And they're in no rush to sort of like overwhelm male consumers. The the approach is very much to, um, yeah, sort of take it slow, immerse men in this sort of new segment that may not be super familiar with. But the products themselves are really cool. The actual packaging is something a man would be quite proud to have in their bag on their shelf. Like some of them look like little Zippo lighters and there's the concealer pen or the under eye pen uh, it's got like the texture of a martial amp um, and they know it's a challenging segment um, and I think they want to really gently ease a more general male consumer into using makeup and like the whole combination, the, the smells, I just think this could be the moment where that, that category has finally has its moment thanks to them sort of. Great. Amanda, who's your favourite? So mine's Indu. Um, so they're a team beauty brand that launched in September. They were founded by Phil Unique's Aaron Chatterley and industry veteran Rena Hammer. And um, it's such a great premium entry level brand for teens. It's skincare and makeup. Um, but their whole ethos is um, for teens by teens. So they have a community of, I think, about 120, 130 teens who are fed in on every aspect of the product. So from smell, texture, ingredients to packaging, branding. And the committee are the face of the brand as well. They're kind of in all the marketing materials but the brand is really well thought out the products are really fun and they've got everything from like color changing ph um cheek and lip oils so kind of 
works with your skin to uh, customizable palettes where you can choose the pods so you can make up your own palettes so if you want like all eyeshadows go for it or if you want to create a face palette do it but they're all super affordable and the skincare ingredients are all quite efficacious but it's all about just kind of bringing the skin back into balance um, but it's a very fun very cute very sweet brand and um, yeah I think it's going to shake up the teen market nice I'm going to jump in there because I'm going to go the other end of the spectrum and my pick is made of more and that is a skin skincare brand designed for women going through the menopause and it's a fully fledged skincare brand they have pretty much every product you need and it's through designed to be for all stages of the menopause including the perimenopause and they said that they've worked with a lot of GPs and women health experts to launch the brand. I love it because it's part of a wider conversation I think that's happened this year about menopause. We've seen a lot of awareness both through celebrities, influencers and brands talking about the menopause. Is really refreshing because I think it's safe to say that for a long time, the beauty industry um, has this attitude of if you are over the age of 25, you are invisible. Um, <laughs> and I just quickly wanted to read something from their website that I absolutely loved. And so it's that no pities parties here. Let's share laughs, dirty martinis and support. We say no to lavender and lilac and hiding in the background. We won't stop until every menopausal woman feels celebrated for the true queen they are. And I just thought it was such a refreshing, joyous note to have mm. about a woman going through the menopause. Yeah. yeah. Amen to dirty martinis. <laughs> <laughs> Julia, do you want to round us off? Absolutely. So uh, I cheated. I have gone for a name everyone's heard of, Paco Rabanne. So the actual designer, uh, he sadly died earlier this year. He was really well known, especially in the 1960s, for this kind of sexy, almost kinetic, movable dresses made out of these moving metal parts, you know, discs and chainmail and such like. Also really famous for fragrances. You have One Million. More recently, you have Phantom and Fame. Not a newcomer, but in September, again, brand launched uh, Raban Makeup. Uh, so I should mention also that Pac Raban generally, not just the beauty side, is under the umbrella of Pooch. Uh, and yeah, this is the first time that Raban has been in the makeup space, apparently. So it's a really great range. It's gender neutral. It's very comprehensive. Uh, there's a lot in there. It's vegan and it's designed really with Gen Z in mind. So sorry to move us away from the menopause then back to Gen Z. Um, but for me, the absolute standout thing is the packaging under uh, the creative leads, Diane Kendall. And the visual vibe here is really in tune with the actual fashion heritage of the brand. So it's sleek metal details. There are a few pops of colour, but generally it's very much this futuristic metallic Raban look. It, it reminds me a little bit of of another great um, groundbreaking beauty brand, which is my French, is um, her beauty brand as well. Uh, and the names are great too. So there's a multi-use highlighter, it's called Metal Shot. Uh, and then you also have this vial of biodegradable, very important, uh, metallic silver powder called Pure Metal. The one I really want to try though, uh, if Pooch is listening, if, if Santa maybe is listening, is uh, Shimmer Bomb. And it comes in this graffiti artist aerosol spray can and it just sprays highlighter all over your face. And you can't see me, but I'm mining spraying the highlighter <laughs> all over myself, uh, which would be fantastic for Christmas. That's all for the Cosmetics Business Podcast. Thank you, dear listener, for joining us on our very first episode. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review, share and subscribe to the Cosmetics Business Podcast so you never miss an episode. 
Join us next time as we tackle the biggest stories and trends in beauty. And in the meantime, make sure to subscribe to cosmeticsbusiness.com for all of your beauty industry news and analysis. Thank you.